Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to Fried in 2019, and welcome to 2020, which seems so wild to me. Um, I wanted to come on today and do an introduction to myself because it has been a while and I've gotten some questions recently about what it is that I actually do in life. So I'm here to give you just a short little intro into who I am and what I do outside of hosting this podcast, which I am totally obsessed with and totally love. So my name is Caitlin Donovan and I'm an acupuncturist and a coach and a speaker and an author. I do a few different things. My acupuncture practice is in the middle of Manhattan in New York City, and I do coaching mostly online. So I don't do a lot of in-person coaching. I do a lot of um, online coaching. And both of those things are really mostly focused on female entrepreneurs who have gotten to a point in their businesses where they are successful, but not thrilled and maybe burnt out because of their success and maybe not happy with what they've created. And that's my focus mostly because that's exactly who I was 10 years ago and it's what happened to me. And now I want to help people through that place because when you have enough strength and power to create a business and then you do it and you do it successfully and you realize that it's not it, it can be really heartbreaking and confusing and so I really want to take my time and my energy and my knowledge and help women who are in that same position because I really believe that the more women-led businesses that we have going forward, the better the world is going to be because we are more heart-centered, more emotional-centered, and I think that that's necessary as we go into the new decade and, and the new world. So in addition to acupuncture and coaching, I also do speaking at corporate events or private events, and I usually speak on the topic of burnout. My signature talk is called The Knot, and it is something I've mentioned on the podcast a few times, um, but and you can also find as a blog post on my website. And in addition to all of those things, I am also an author. I will be looking to find a way to get my book edited and published this year. So uh, my book is called The Bounce Back Ability Factor, and it is focused again on women entrepreneurs and how we can build resilience and how we can avoid burnout and how we can take care of ourselves as business owners and employees all wrapped into one role, because as an entrepreneur, that's that's exactly what you are. So those are all of the things I do. And if you wanted to dig into that a little bit more, you can head over to my website, which is katedonovan.com, C-A-I-T-D-O-N-O-V-A-N.com. 
and you'll find all of the information you could possibly want there. And if you don't, feel free to use my contact form and send me a question. I will get back to you always within 48 hours, Monday through Friday, unless I'm on vacation, in which case you will get an automatic reply that I am on vacation. So that's who I am and that's what I do. And here is the second week of 2020's podcast episode that I am pretty happy about because this woman has a lot of knowledge to share. So keep your headphones in and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. Today, my guest is fellow acupuncturist and Chinese medicine superstar, who is also known as the insepid acupuncturist. Her name is Donna Stewart. Donna is a 25-year veteran of healthcare and has burned out at least four times. Having battled back time and again, she now enjoys a peaceful little acupuncture practice in Portland, Oregon. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm pleased to have you. Uh, we haven't actually met in real life ever, but we've been part of the same Facebook group for quite some time, and you always give the best advice, and anytime anyone needs anything, we're all kind of waiting for Donna to chime in, so I'm excited, <laughs> I'm excited to get to, the, the, to have the opportunity to actually chat with you one-on-one. Excellent. Um, let's, let's launch into it. Let's get into it. So I've been starting every episode by asking the guests to share their burnout story, the nitty gritty, the bad stuff, everything you can think of so that people that are listening can feel like they're not alone and they're not the only ones going through this crap. Yeah. Um, I have, I have a complex burnout story because it involves multiple episodes of burnout, each with their own different flavor. And every time I've burned out, I've learned a little bit more about what I need in order to feel fed by my work. Usually we think of work as being an energy output. And we often don't reflect on the energy inputs that we do and can get from the work that we do. For those of us who are in healthcare, Many of those energy inputs are things like the joy of seeing someone get better or the joy of being able to make a contribution in a difficult situation. So if those joys go down, then the energy input from the work is, and is very out of balance because you expend a lot of energy doing the work. And so if you're not getting that energy back, then you end up with this deficit. And that, to me, is the crux of burnout, that deficit between energy going out and energy going in. So in my burnout stories, I was able to identify different pieces of what I need in order to feel like energy is coming in through my work. So the very first time I burned out was almost immediately after I graduated physical therapy school. (laughs) So I was a youngster when I went to PT school. So I started with plenty of energy and I'm somebody who usually likes school. So even though the program was really intense and challenging, 
Uh, I was with a great tight-knit group of people. I had amazing instructors. I learned a lot. And so I, I didn't graduate school wrecked in any kind of way. I graduated ready and excited to go start my career. And I got a job at this um, little rural hospital in uh, coastal Washington. And um, the position that hi I was hired into, I was actually really well suited for. So I was hired to be the only acute care physical therapist in the whole hospital. So I was a department of one. I had a supervisor, but she was at another campus. So I, I had no coworkers in physical therapy at the same campus that I worked at. So I was essentially flying solo. I had a little office, a little clinic space with uh, you know some physical therapy equipment. And I basically spent my days running around the hospital treating patients and um, interacting intensively with other healthcare providers like doctors and nurses and nursing aides and respiratory therapists and everybody who makes a hospital go. And the learning curve, of course, as with any brand new job, was pretty steep. And part of my temperament is that I'm a little vain and I don't like to do a bad job. <laughs> yep, so, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> so if I've got my name attached to something, I want it to be pretty good quality, right? <laughs> So I busted my butt trying to give really high quality physical therapy to anybody in the hospital. Part of being the only therapist in the hospital is that if your patient list for the day includes three people, then you treat three people. I had days where my patient list got up to 30. And I had 30 treatments that I was supposed to provide in one day. And when you get into that kind of situation, quality starts to go down because you just don't have the time. But the physicians, the ordering physicians still expect it to be done. So, man, I was hoofing it around that hospital. And they had told me when they hired me, hey, if you get swamped, call over and we might have somebody who's got time to come over and help you. Well, because I was pretty full of myself, I waited way too long to call over some help. I mean, I could have called over help on days that I didn't, for sure. And instead, I was just the hero who was working late um, or seeing all the people, you know, the, the hero physical therapist who was just a blur in the hallways as she was racing by to do the next treatment. So I'm not surprised I burned myself out. I burned myself out in that job in like a year. Yeah, because, that's fast, right? Yeah, that's really fast. Um, especially when I was only 22 years old. Right. And usually we think of people having to be a little older or work a little longer before they burn out the first time. But I burned myself out. And so I called my supervisor and I said, I need to get out of this position. And um, so they had a job for me over in the outpatient clinic. And um, she was able to transfer me over there. So I did that. And the burnout went away. That Those feelings of burnout of things like, oh, my God, if I have to go to that job today, I'm going to die. Yeah. Or I suck at my job. 
I'm not doing anything to help anybody and they would be better off having somebody else do this. Um, so those were the feelings I was happening that, that I was having at that time. And so they moved me over to the outpatient clinic and the outpatient clinic was a totally different rhythm. It was much more predictable. So I started work at X time in the morning and patients were scheduled at certain times during the day. I had a scheduled lunch hour and then I finished at a certain time of the day. And there wasn't really any opportunity to get overbooked because if there wasn't an appointment available, there wasn't an appointment. And so patients just wouldn't get booked. And emergencies in outpatient don't come up that often. Right. Once in a while, I would get double booked, but not very often. So the pace was a lot more manageable. However, you see the patients for a much longer period of time. So when they're in the hospital, you know, this was back in the 90s. So patients might stay for a week. They don't turn it. They, they didn't turn them over as fast as they do now. Yeah. But uh, back in the 90s, they'd be in the hospital for maybe a week and um, then they'd be gone. Well, when somebody's seeing you in the outpatient clinic, they, they might be seeing you for eight weeks, 12 weeks, you know, even longer if they'd had a stroke. And I have to keep referring back to the 90s because nobody gets that much therapy anymore <laughs> because the way healthcare keeps changing and like clamping down and clamping down and clamping down, like those relationships aren't as long as they used to be. But well, right now I'm, I'm recovering from um, an Achilles injury and I will be in physical therapy according to my insurance for at least five, five months. Yeah. It's still a good chunk of time. Yeah. And uh, be grateful that they will allow you to have physical therapy oh, for five God, months at, yeah, this, absolutely. at this point in 2019. Yeah. Um, so it's a very different relationship with the patient. Right. And, um, and the patients also had a somewhat less diverse range of conditions. Yeah. So, um, you know, in a rural hospital uh, setting, you know, you still get the diversity because everybody in the county comes to see you, whatever's wrong with them. (laughs) Um, But still, you do a lot of orthopedics. So I did a lot of orthopedics. I did a lot of neuro rehab. And I burned myself out (laughs) doing that (laughs) because my vanity had not decreased at all. And I still wanted to provide amazing care for people I wanted everybody to recover 100% of their function. Yeah. And if you're the patient, you want that therapist, right? Yeah, of course. Like you want the therapist who's like, nope, this, this is not 100% better. We got to keep working at it. You know, that, that's the person that you want to see. So patients are into that. They like it, you know, and in general, I think humans appreciate service providers that they can see doing extra putting in extra effort or or going the extra mile for them people like that it makes them feel taken care of it makes them feel special yeah Um, but it burned me out because the patients they took a lot of problem solving on my part because I was still a fairly new therapist I was still learning how to do my job and all of the lessons that I had learned in the hospital didn't necessarily translate over to the outpatient clinic. So I, I gave myself another new job learning curve. So that was more intense for me. And then I still wanted to do a really good job and I still wanted everybody to get a lot better. And so I was spending every moment of the treatment time with my patient 
doing interventions. And what that meant was that I took a stack of charts home at the end of the day. And I sat down at my kitchen table every night and I wrote those chart notes for the whole day, every night. And after doing that for months, I said, this is no way to live. I can't do this because I was burning out again. I was the, the mental efforts. And, and it was not only that, it was not only just writing the chart notes, but I was also intensively researching for every condition to try and figure out what the, what the best treatment was for that condition. So I call this the, the high achiever mentality. Yeah, exactly. And the high achiever mentality is a, uh, I think, is a risk factor for burnout. <laughs> I totally agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And it's something that I've seen be true over and over again, both in clients that I coach and in podcast interviews. It comes back and it was true for me and my story. So maybe those are just the people that I attract and those are the people that I talk to and those are the pieces of the story that I hone in on. But like I graduated acupuncture school at 24, Mm -hmm. which is young for acupuncture school. It is. And I moved to a foreign country, started working in a foreign language that I didn't speak in an infertility center. Oh my where, gosh. Where they, where they gave me a half an hour per patient. Oh, wow. You bit off a big bite. Right. And I was seeing sometimes 24 people a day. Oh my gosh. And I just, I just jumped right in and I didn't even realize how much of my effort was going into proving to them that I was a valuable asset to the team, proving to the company, the infertility center that I was working in. Yeah. That was part of it. And part of it was proving to the patients that I was valuable because I know my stuff, which how much stuff could I have known? I just graduated. You still probably knew more about Chinese medicine and fertility than anybody else there. I absolutely did. They had no <laughs> idea what I was doing yeah. at all, which, which was good for me. But also I was in a foreign country and I didn't know any other acupuncturists. And this was well before it was a comfortable thing to use phones to call internationally on the internet. You know, this yeah. was 2007. So this was just Skype existed. But, you know, you both had to be on a laptop in order for that to work. So it's not that I didn't have this constant contact with colleagues from home that I could sort of connect with. So I was alone in a foreign country, in a foreign language, in a fertility center, thinking, thank God we have tongue and pulse diagnosis in Chinese medicine, because I don't know what the hell these people are saying. Yeah. You bit off a big bite. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Kudos to you for making that work. But it was the perfectionism that burnt me out anyway. It wasn't even that. Yeah. You know, it was that high achiever in me that was like, well, not only am I doing all these things that I didn't even take into account at the time, but on top of that, I'm going to be the best acupuncturist this country's ever seen. Yeah. It's hard. I did the same as you. I was spending my time looking up everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I burned myself out doing outpatients, and I went back to the hospital. <laughs> But this time when I went back to the hospital, I wasn't burned out, but I was bored. Right. And so um, it, when you go to the hospital, you spend a lot of time dragging old ladies out of bed and making them walk down the hall. <laughs> yep. You spend a lot of time doing that. 
you get some really fascinating patients and you get some really fun patients and you get some uh, patients who are challenging. Um, but you spend a lot of time dragging old ladies up and down the hall. Um, <laughs> so I got bored. And uh, then my boss, she had left her supervisor position and she had taken a position in a nursing home that was in the same town. And uh, she invited me to come and work for her as her staff physical therapist. And I went and checked it out and I said, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe a change will be good. And I burned myself out at the nursing home. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern here, Donna. Yes. Like I said, I am very <laughs> experienced in burnout. <laughs> And the way I burned myself out, but this was the other piece that I needed. So, um, you know, I, I figured out that I was working too intensively. I figured out that um, I was being a perfectionist. Um, and then I also figured out that I don't like to be bored, yeah. that... Um, that I need for the challenges to keep coming. So um, then I left the hospital. I went to the nursing home. Well, I burned myself out at the nursing home and I burned myself out on Betty. And I will never forget Betty <laughs> because she gave me a critical piece of knowledge about burnout for me. So I don't know that this applies to everybody, but this was a really critical piece for me to get. Because at the nursing home, the pace wasn't too fast. You know, we alternated between light loads and heavier loads. I had coworkers that I was working with who were super supportive and a lot of fun in the office. Um, we had decent management. The patients were great. Their, their families were great. So it should not have been a recipe for burnout yet it was. And it was Betty. So Betty was a very nice lady who had had a very bad stroke. Mm -hmm. And she was somebody who was, uh, she was a few inches taller than me, and probably about 100 pounds heavier than me, or maybe a little more. And when you're a physical therapist, you learn how to leverage your body weight and your strength to stand people up when they're a lot bigger than you. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's uh, easy. And so a lot of, with a lot of physical therapy, when you're working with these patients who are significantly physically impaired, it's a lot of physical effort to work with those patients. Yeah. So here I had Betty. She had a bad stroke. She had a, a bum arm and a bum leg. And she was in a wheelchair. She had a brace on her left, left ankle. She had a, a resting splint on her left hand. And she was a big gal. And she wanted to walk again. And I really wanted her to walk again. And she and I busted our asses trying to get her to walk again twice a day, every day. I took that woman down to the gym parked her wheelchair in the parallel bars and I hauled her ass up and she worked her best to stand and her brain just was not having it. Yeah. It took maximum efforts from me and my staff every day, twice a day 
six days a week, we were trying to get this gal going. And we just couldn't. And I kept, I went to classes, I researched equipment, I researched techniques, exercises. We tried everything for months to get this gal to walk or even to stand well and unsupported so that like she could stand for somebody to pull up her pants after she used the toilet. We weren't setting the bar that high and Betty just could not do it. And I burned myself out at the nursing home trying to change Betty's destiny. Mm. And what I realized on reflection is that I am not and I can't be in charge of somebody's outcome. All I can be in charge of is my best work. It's not up to me if Betty walks again. But when you do that kind of rehab work, you're like, oh, I'm going to make a difference for this person. And a good therapist will be able to get these outcomes. No. The outcomes equation involves you, your patient, and what in Chinese medicine we call the will of heaven. If the will of heaven is not there for this patient, you're not going to change that. No matter what your skill level is. No matter what your skill level is. So you can't go into your work hanging your self-worth on whether or not you get the result that you and your patient want. Now, this is an interesting lesson from my perspective because my mother is a physical therapist assistant and she works in the school department with children. Mm -hmm. And some of these kids are going to learn how to walk And some of these kids, she's going to make sure, like the work that she does with them is going to make sure that these kids can function as adults. And it's critical, absolutely critical. It's amazing. And some of these kids she meets with for 45 minutes twice a week because you have to. Yes. And she knows that nothing is going to happen. And I knew that when I started my acupuncture practice, but I didn't think that those rules applied to me. (laughs) I told you I was 24. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't think that applied to me. I thought, well, you know, I have a little bit of a different skill. Chinese medicine has a little bit of a different thing, Uh but I was infertility. Not everybody's going to get pregnant. Not everybody's going to get pregnant. And it's not up to you whether or not they get pregnant. No. And the thing is when you're working with any individual patient, you don't know if you're going to be allowed to make a difference for them or not. Right. And that's how I think of it now. These are the words, because the words that we use to talk to ourselves matter. Yeah. I hope I'm allowed to help this person. Those are the words that I use. Not, I hope I can fix this. Because if you use those words, it suggests that if you can't fix it, it's a you can't problem. But if you say, I hope I'm allowed to help this person, then you understand that you don't have all the power. Right. And in my courses, that's what I call the God complex. Yeah. The God complex consists of two false assumptions. The first is that everything is yours to do. (laughs) Right. It's, it's for me to help this person get pregnant. It's for me to solve this person's home life. It's for me to make sure this person has access to care, okay? 
So the, the first false assumption is that everything is yours to do. Everyone who finds their way to my office is for me to treat. That's mm -hmm. a classic. The second false assumption is that everything that you do makes a difference. And that's really hard for people. When I say that to them, that is a really hard one to hear. But if you can start to accept that, your life will get better. Not everything you do makes a difference. No. And what you're talking about here is, is absolutely, in my opinion, key to burnout because these are things that are related to boundaries, but they are related mm -hmm. to the boundaries that we hold within our bodies, not the boundaries where we have to be assertive. Yes. They're yes. different. They are different. And it is, it is accepting and embracing the limits of your power as a healthcare provider. Yeah. So like I said, what I remind myself every day is that what I'm responsible for is the work that I did. That's it. Yeah. And I've found this to be true in a lot of these conversations that I've, I spoke with someone who was an urban school administrator mm -hmm. and she burned out because she thought it was her job to make sure that all the children in her school were prepared for learning, which meant they were fed, emotionally stable, and everything else, right? Obviously, yeah. not possible. I spoke with a lawyer who got into law, not for its prestige, but for its ability to help people. She had grown up and had different dealings with welfare. She had a lawyer that had helped her mother, and it inspired her. And it was now her job to make sure that everybody that came in got a solution. So healthcare providers, it's, it's a, almost an easy thing to see because people come to us literally in pain. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of other jobs that are also focused on fixing different types of pains and difficulties. And people have that same savior or God complex yeah. that you're talking about. And that's why they got into the job in the first place. So I think this, yes. is a, this is a tough bit because, and I say this constantly in the podcast, but I'm going to keep saying it in case someone has not listened to an episode yet. And this is the first one. I don't care if you're working in your passion only because you can still burn out. Oh yeah. I've done it a bunch of times and not because you didn't love your job. <laughs> right. And there's so much information out there that says if you find your passion and follow your heart, you'll never feel like you're working a day in your life. And it's yeah, that's such, that is bullpucky. Yeah. Bull that is total bullpucky. <laughs> I mean, and but that's the that's the lie that we're feeding people. And I think that the gener I'm the first year of the millennials, so I don't really kind of really fall into the category very well. But I think this is a huge reason behind some of the issues that millennials are facing today is that the lie that they were told is that their only job is to be happy, is to follow their hearts and be happy. Oh, that's a terrible life plan. Terrible. <laughs> That's a terrible life plan. Right? But this is the this is what we touted as like, you know, we don't want them to struggle too much and we we want people we're not going to, you know, everybody's going to get a blue ribbon and uh, you know, uh, I I I somewhat disagree with that characterization of the millennial lie. Um but but I I think what I do agree with you on is that um 
we have too narrow a definition of happiness. Yeah. So for me, um, I just spent a, a morning treating patients one after another, fully booked, and they all challenged me. Yeah. And I was working hard. And I had the feeling that I was working hard. And so I expended energy, but I'm not unhappy about it. Right. So you have to expand your definitions of happiness. You have exactly. to learn to take satisfaction in making a contribution. You have to learn to take satisfaction in overcoming your own limitations or overcoming challenges that come from outside. You have to define those victories as happiness. And then that's how you increase the happiness in your life. Happiness isn't found by avoiding things that are that you might characterize as unpleasant. Exactly. exactly. And with the internet culture, internet is telling you what unpleasant means. <laughs> right? Internet is creating those definitions for you. And you can't accept that. You can't say, well, you know, nobody else enjoys just having a nice stable job with benefits. They all want things where they can be creative and, you know, freelance and take all this time off. So then how do you feel about yourself if you're somebody who does like the predictability of yeah. a stable job with pleasant enough coworkers and simple enough and enjoyable enough work to do? Yeah, not everyone needs to be a digital nomad. No. Yeah. My husband yeah. and I have this conversation a lot because while I have always followed my passions into work, um, that's not been his path and he's totally okay with it. He's like, yeah. I love, he, he's like, I, li I like my job. I like it well enough. And it's function. My function is to show up and do it well. And it's function is to provide me with the kind of finances that I need in order to enjoy the other things that I enjoy in life. Yeah. And I think that is a definition of happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if that meets his requirements for happiness, then he's nailed it. Yeah. And one, something that you said earlier was, I think, important because you were saying, you know, when the first time that you burnt out, you were saying this internal talk of, oh, my God, I suck. I'm not making the kind of impact. I'm not. Yes. You know, and this, this lack of impact and lack of feeling accomplished, this mm -hmm. is the third out of three symptoms that, is, that defines burnout, according to the science. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think that the, the definition is, you know, largely incomplete, but that's not the point. Yes. And this lack of impact, this sort of feeling like that you're not, you're not accomplishing enough. There's not enough challenges when there's not enough challenges and you're not mm -hmm. overcoming them. So there, that impact and accomplishment is missing. Yeah. I believe is the tricky space in burnout where it is both a cause and a symptom. Yeah. So that, that segues very well into my next story of burnout. Perfect. Because <laughs> I have more. So, <laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> so there I was hanging out at the, out, out at the nursing home. And then, um, so I'll try and give a short story of what happened. Medicare changed how they pay for rehabilitation services. And they implemented the change in a three-state region all at the same time. So Oregon, Washington, and Idaho all had this change implemented at the same time. So one-third of the rehab people who were working in long-term care all lost their jobs at the same time in the three-state region. Oh, my God. I was one of the people whose job was eliminated. 
So, well, my boss's job was eliminated, but then she took my job because she had seniority. Um, So not only did I not have a job, but there were no jobs in a three-state area very suddenly. And nobody expected the job market to recover for like five years. So I was sitting there going, okay, what am I going to do? I was in this rural county. It's not like there's an abundance of jobs. I did get a job as a contractor with a home health agency. And I did that and it was fine. And I was making enough money, you know, driving around this rural county, listening to audiobooks in between seeing old people, you know, at their homes. And it was all right. Um, but I started thinking about how I really don't like to feel trapped. I don't like to feel like I can't ever walk away from this job. So I started to think about what else I might like to do. And that was when I hatched my plan to go to acupuncture school. Right. So fast forward, I did that, went to acupuncture school, started my practice, and uh, rode that entrepreneur's wave for, you know, the first few years of my practice. And that was all good. I was working part-time in physical therapy to support myself while I got my practice rolling, learning how to be an acupuncturist, learning how to run a business, all that. And I burned myself out. (laughs) Again. Drum roll, please. (laughs) So the final piece, I say the final piece. Um but maybe it isn't. Maybe I'll burn myself out yet again. <laughs> I'll find another piece of, burn, of the burnout puzzle for me. <laughs> um, but uh, the piece that I got was that I have to believe in what I'm doing. And what happened to me in physical in uh, acupuncture is that I lost my faith that it worked. Mm. I didn't think it worked. I didn't think it was working. I was treating my patients and, you know, they were getting better. It was all going all right. But I was pretty convinced that it wasn't my treatments that were making these people better. And there's, well, there's something about uh, the course of a condition. Mm. You have to, like, if, if your treatment's effective, if you're going to say that your treatment's effective, you have to do better than what's called the natural course of the disease. Right. For example, 90% of acute low back pain gets better without any care at all within two weeks. So if you're treating a patient for acute low back pain and you get them better in two weeks, you don't know that you've beat the natural course of the disease. Right. Or if somebody gets a common cold. And you know, within about seven days, they should be feeling better. You give them acupuncture, you give them herbs. If they're better in about seven days, did you beat the course of the disease? You don't know. So I wasn't having the kind of experiences in my clinic that really let me know I was making a difference for people with my treatment. And that burned me out. Because We're back to the lack of a lack of impact, lack of accomplishment again. Well, it wasn't. It was more than that. It was a lack of faith. It was a lack of faith in the medicine. Yeah. So that was more of a core problem. And I was so burned out. 
And one of the things that happens when you're in this kind of business model is that if you don't want patients, they don't show up. The universe hears that and they don't come to see you. (laughs) (laughs) And my, my burnout had caused my business to dwindle so far that I was running out of money. And I started looking for work. I started looking to pick up a part-time physical therapy job again because I was so disillusioned with Chinese medicine. And during that time, I mean, I remember it was New Year's Eve and I was laying around on my couch not wanting to do anything, pretty much meeting the, the checkboxes for depression. Yeah. And I got my laptop out and I started looking for work. And I thought, well, this is an interesting moment in time. And I've been in practice for like, I don't know, five years. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm looking for work. Come on. But, um, but I did. And I sent in some applications in between when I sent those applications out and when anybody got, got back to me. The dean of the local acupuncture school called me up and said she wanted me to apply for a teaching position. Hmm. And I said, what position is it? And she said, point location. And I thought about it because, remember, by this time I had decided that acupuncture didn't work. And I was thinking about, you know, just throwing in the towel. And so for the school to call me, I was, wait, you want me to lead people into this field? (laughs) Why would I do that? (laughs) But I thought about it, and for for listeners who haven't been to acupuncture school, I'll say that what point location is, is uh, we have to find the different places to put the needles that we use for acupuncture on a live body. So somebody has to teach you where those points are so that you can find them for treatment. So it's a a very entry-level class. So I thought about it, and I said, well, I don't have to actually believe the acupuncture points do anything in order to show people where they are. Right. Right. And with my background in physical therapy, I have a knowledge of live person anatomy that's a cut above what a lot of people have. Right. And I, I have a talent for teaching. So I said, well, maybe I'll do this. So I, I applied for the job. They gave me the job and I started teaching acupuncture point location at the school. Now, one of the benefits of working at the school is that if you get permission from the instructor, you can audit any course that's offered there. And so I was looking at the catalog and uh, a colleague of mine was offering a class in Japanese acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And so I contacted her and I said, Hey, can I crash your class? And she said, sure. So I took her class and it changed my life. Because I finally was learning acupuncture that gave me immediate feedback that the patient had benefited. Right. I could see it it wasn't because the acupuncture I was taught at school was, okay, stick these pins in, do 10 treatments. And at the end of 10 treatments, check and see if the patient got better. And I hate that. I'm not patient. Uh, I need to know well before 10 treatments have gone by that my patient is getting better from my care. And with Japanese acupuncture, I could finally do that. I could see the change while the patient was on the table. I could see the change. I could see that they had gotten better. And that turned me around 
And that was how I got out of burnout. So not only do I need to believe that I'm making a difference, but I have to have faith in the thing that I'm doing to make that difference. Right. And I have to have the little challenges. I have to have the little puzzles to solve. And I have to keep myself off the hook for the outcomes. Yeah. Those were the pieces that I needed. Now, where I am with it now is I still sometimes feel that burnout creep in. But I think what, what I keep going back to is that energy in and energy out. Because our work life is not the only area of our lives where we expend energy. We expend energy with friends and family, um, with just the daily things of keeping ourselves fed and bathed, keeping the house in working order. Those kinds of things, they're all energy expenditures as well. And we have to get energy in from the food that we eat, from our environment, from the people who love us and take care of us. And I think for a lot of people who are in caregiving professions or service professions, I would say that getting that care coming in can be challenging. Yeah. Because you go into a service profession with a, with a philosophy of life that I'm here to make life better for other people. And when you have that philosophy, it can either be difficult for you to attract that kind of thing to come back in, or you may actively reject it when it's offered. Yeah. And that balance between the care coming in and the care going out, which in Chinese medicine, I, I file that under earth element. Yep. The balance between giving and receiving nurturing if in your work, things are okay, but outside of work, there's nothing coming in or not enough coming in to counterbalance that, I think you can still have a recipe for burnout there. Yeah. When this goes back to the question that you asked right at the very beginning of the interview, you know, what do I need to feel fed? Mm -hmm. At that point, you said, by my work, but we can put here by my relationships, by my home, by my... Yes. Whatever By my community. Yeah. Yes. So do you have a community that you feel like you can rely on? Or do you have a community that you know if your house burned down, nobody would come and check on you? One of the challenges of modern life, and, and I think particularly in urban settings, is that we, we have become more isolated from the people who are our closest physical neighbors. Yeah. We are more connected with people who are distant because we have the internet, but we have fewer connections with the people who are right in our immediate area. Well, this has been an interesting lesson for me just recently because after being in Europe for 12 years, we just moved back to the States and we moved back to New Jersey. Well, mm -hmm. not and wasn't moving back for my husband. He's Polish. He never lived in the United States. So it's moving to the United States for him. So he mm -hmm. obviously doesn't know the area. I've lived, never lived in New Jersey in my life, so I don't know anybody here. Mm -hmm. And I ruptured my Achilles tendon at when I was at a 
class, an exercise class, while my husband was on a plane to California. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask people for help that I didn't even know. Yeah. I was like, can you please drive me to the hospital? I don't know your last name. Mm -hmm. I barely know your first name. Yeah. And I have since then found that the community that we ended up in is very community-based. That's great. (laughs) Know that at that time, you know, and, and ever since I've mentioned it to a couple of people that I've met since that time. And everybody says, Oh yeah, I've never lived anywhere else like this. I mean, it just, people are just so helpful and everyone is involved and there's a lot of community things happening. And I've never lived in a place like this before. Yeah. And see, that's care coming in. Yeah. So when you have that kind of care coming in, it tips those scales against the care going out. Right. And that helps you avoid burnout. In in my neighborhood, I was just out, I was walking home from the grocery store and a neighbor that I don't know at all because he's like three blocks away, he had ruptured his Achilles tendon. So no he, was, he was non-weight bearing on crutches. Yeah. So that for, for listeners who aren't healthcare providers, he wasn't able to put that foot down. So he had to use the crutches and just hop on the one foot. He was trying to get his giant rolling garbage can down to the curb for pickup day. Yeah. And I put my bag down. I said, stop that this instant. I'm going to do that for you. (laughs) I am not going to watch this man on crutches try and get down the driveway with this roller cart. I said, this is ridiculous. He goes, oh, no, no, I can get it. I said, that's ridiculous. I am doing this for you. Do we need to bring your yard bin down? Do we need to bring your recycle bin down? And he was stunned. He was stunned that somebody who doesn't know him would put down her groceries and go take his bins out to the curb. Yeah, it wasn't until this happened to me that I've ever really had to be in a position to ask people. I was brought up to be very, very, very self-sufficient. Yes. And so I was not the type of person that ever asked for help. Even my husband mentioned to our friends after this happened, after the first week or two, he said, you know, I, I'm noticing even when she asks me for water because she doesn't ask me for things. Mm-hmm. And now she literally can't do anything. And it's just now making me realize how many things she does for herself and how many things she does for us because she doesn't ask for help. Yes. And being in this situation where I'm constantly, I don't even really have to ask for it though. When I'm out and about in this community, things just happen. People hold my door open. People stop in the middle of the street so that I don't have to walk all the way over to the crosswalk. Even cops are like, they stop cars in the middle of the street so I don't have to walk all the way or hobble as it is Mm -hmm. all the way down to the corner. Yeah. So I think what I would say for listeners who do have this strong independent streak. Yeah. If you are bad at asking for help, if you feel (laughs) afraid to ask for help, practice. Practice. And it doesn't matter because people feel good when they can do something for you. Yeah. It makes them feel good. If you let me do something for you, I will feel good. I will have good feelings from that. So when you refuse to let other people do things for you, you deny them those good feelings. Well, and I would add to that, figure out what it is that you need, like spend some time even before you start asking people for things, because this was an issue for me. So it might be an issue for other people. Somebody once asked me what I needed and I looked at them and I was confused. 
I am going to challenge you on that because for people who are strongly independent, they're not going to come up with anything on the list of things they need. Right. Which is why I'm saying practice. (laughs) Yeah. I don't actually need anything. So I think the question that I would encourage people to ask themselves is, what is it reasonable to ask for help with? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a better question. I think it's a better question too. And is it's exactly the point, the exactly the point that I was getting at. Like yes. you have in order to then take that the next step and actually ask for help, you need to have some sort of idea on what you might ask for help with. It was something I had to look for in my own life. It wasn't yes. um it, it didn't just come naturally to me. Yes. Yeah. So what would normal people ask for help with? Right. So <laughs> for me, For me, one of the things was uh, when I would get up and clean my roof, because I'm independent, I clean my own roof. Yeah. So when I would get up to clean my roof, I I started getting one of my neighbors to hold the ladder for me when I would come back down. Yeah. Or when I would step from the ladder to the roof. That's totally reasonable. It's safer. And so I would see one of my neighbors outside. I would say, hey, can you come over and hold the ladder for me? They go, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, just because you can do something by yourself doesn't mean that you should. Right. And when you don't do those things by yourself, you increase the the bonds between you and the people who help you. Yes. And that's how we get those relationships that balance out our energy outputs with some energy inputs. I think that is exactly it. I think that is exactly it. I love... The question, what do I need to feel fed by dot, dot, dot. Insert thing here. Yeah. I love that question. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of energy inputs. Mm -hmm. Where do you get your energy inputs? And so for me, with, with all of the ways that I burned out, I need mental restraint. I need to be off the hook for outcomes. I need interest and faith and periodic challenges. Amen. Those are the, yeah, those are the things that I need. I love that. And... But I had to burn, you can see why I had to burn myself out multiple times in order to learn all of that. Because each time I burned out, I identified another piece and thought, oh, I've solved this. No, no, I hadn't solved it. (laughs) There was still more to solve. I didn't even realize that I had burnt out until the second time was over. (laughs) Yeah. And then I read the word burnout somewhere and I was like, oh. Oh, that's what that is. Mm -hmm. Nothing had ever felt so true to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and it's critical because I think when you're, when you're in school and you're, and you're of younger age, everything is projected into the future. When you're in elementary school, you think about graduating and going to middle school. And when you're in middle school, you think about going to high school. I'm just getting to graduation. I'm getting to graduation. And then you go to your university program. You're like, I'm just getting to graduation. Well, then you have this long stretch of adulthood <laughs> where you're just, you're just living your life. 
just adulting over here. You're just yeah, you're just adulting. <laughs> and so those milestones are fewer. Those collective milestones are fewer. And you don't have that future pull, right? That's what we call future pull. The future is pulling me to some marker. And you get in a zone. I mean, depending on everybody's individual career paths, you get in a zone where you're like, this is just me doing my work. Yeah. And if you, if you don't have that future pull, something has to keep you engaged and keep you going in that work. And you have to figure out how to make that for yourself. If you have the freedom, so if, if you're targeting mostly entrepreneurs with this podcast, what I'm going to tell you is that as the entrepreneur, you have the freedom and therefore the responsibility to make the kind of life that you want for yourself at work. Yeah. You can't pin this on somebody else. Yeah, and I think that's the difficult part about burnout and entrepreneurs because burnout is an internal and an external job. Like the the stuff yes. that you've talked about today is an internal job, but there are plenty of things at, at jobs that are um, where you can't control the environment as much. Like when you were in the hospital, and some days you had thirty patients all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an external thing that you can't control that will lead you to burnout. I don't care how much internal work you do. Sometimes you know, that's the, true. The external yeah. factors totally matter. But as an entrepreneur, if your boundaries are being crossed by your clients, mm -hmm. you've got to make better boundaries. If your environment isn't feeding you, you have to change your environment. You know, all of this stuff is on you. Yeah. If you're taking, if you're saying yes to too much work yeah. and not hiring people to help you, yep. that's on you. Yeah. 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 So I think that's why it's so important to me to, to talk about this because that, that external those external factors are, are very diminished, not completely gone because you they might, are not gone. They're not gone. You know, you might still live with your family who interrupts you in the middle of calls and whatever else, but, or your the nature of your business may be feast or famine. Right. Uh, Just naturally. Yeah. Like that. Like some businesses are seasonal. Yes. Um, and yes. that can definitely be feast or famine. But yes. to the extent, if you're miserable as an entrepreneur, you have more power to change that exactly than the person who's in the corporate job. Yes. So you owe it to yourself to use that power to try to make your life better. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Donna, you are a wealth of wisdom. Oh, thank you. And it is obvious your talent for teaching is palpable as you speak. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased to be able to help and share and help people glean some understanding so that they can make better decisions for themselves. That is definitely the hope. If we trigger just one person that's listening to say, you know what, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to make a different decision. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy. That makes me happy too. <laughs> if you are that, if you happen to be that one person, please do write to us and let us know. Yes, yes, so that we can celebrate with you. Yes, because even though I'm not on the hook for the outcome, if there is a positive outcome, I totally want to hear about it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm with that, Donna. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, your energy, your wisdom, and the clarity of your words. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. It's been a pleasure. 
All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. If you resonated with anything in this episode, please do leave us a review and let us know that we're doing a good job. If you know someone that must listen to these particular words, you know that person that you kept thinking about as the podcast was going on and on, please do share it with them because the more ears we reach, the better chance we have of helping somebody in need. Thanks for being here and we'll talk to you next time. Ha 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 